and all your righteous laws are eternal. So, Lord, we ask that you would help us by your Spirit, send your Holy Spirit to us now, so that we would listen to your words which are true, and to your righteous laws which are eternal, and then live according to your word, and live according to your laws, as a result of your Spirit's work within us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we are looking at this wonderful passage of Isaiah 53, which may be familiar to some of you and less familiar to some of you. Uh, And it speaks about this servant of the Lord. Uh, If you look with me, if you've got a Bible there, Isaiah 52 verse 13, where we are introduced to this servant with, See my servant will act wisely, he will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. And then it goes on to speak of this servant. And the question we have to ask ourselves, which has been asked over the centuries, is who is this servant of the Lord? Who is the servant of the Lord? And it is in the New Testament that it is clearly taught to us that this servant of the Lord is the Christ, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, This passage is quoted a number of times in the New Testament, and one in particular that uh, speaks very clearly of at least the text that I'm looking at today, uh, verse 7 of Isaiah 53, uh, where we read, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Uh, This text is raised in the New Testament and connected with the Lord Jesus Uh, very clearly, and that is with the account of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. Many of you may know that story where Philip is told to go and to this Ethiopian eunuch, this royal official, and speak to him. And this royal official is reading this passage of scripture in Acts chapter 8. We learn that he's there reading in his chariot this passage of scripture and particularly these verses. Uh, We read that the eunuch in Acts chapter 8 verse 32, it says the eunuch was reading this passage of scripture, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearer is silent so he did not open his mouth. Then we read the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please who is the prophet talking about? This Ethiopian eunuch, he's puzzled, who is being spoken of here? Who is the prophet talking about? Himself, Is Isaiah talking about Isaiah or someone else? And then we read, Philip began with that very passage of Scripture, that very verse that we're going to be looking at today, and told him the good news about Jesus. He told him the good news about Jesus, that this is speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's what I want to concentrate on this this morning. Uh, This verse that is quoted there in the New Testament in Acts chapter 8, where we read that this servant is oppressed and afflicted and yet did not open his mouth. What do we learn from this verse about the Lord Jesus Christ? What did that Ethiopian eunuch so many years ago learn about the Lord Jesus Christ from this verse? Well, of course, we learn that the Christ, the servant of God, was a person who would suffer greatly. He was a person who would suffer greatly. And we see that in verse 7. What do we read? He was oppressed and afflicted. What does the idea of oppressed mean? Well, you think of the, the word there in the English language and what, what word is in there in oppressed? It's pressed. He is going to be pressed. He's going to be crushed. He's going to experience great suffering and pain and affliction as well. We understand the word affliction uh, speaks of some sort of uh, pain, some sort of humiliation, even a violent humiliation that comes upon someone. If you're afflicted, you feel oppressed, you feel that pain coming on you. But it's not just oppression and affliction that is described there in verse 7. There's another way that the, the servant of the Lord is described and that is with this image that's given to us of a lamb and a sheep. What do we see in verse 7? He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. What would happen to this servant of the Lord? He would be slaughtered like an animal 
we have this brutal image given to us where someone is, their body would be torn open and they would bleed profusely. That's what we think of when we think of someone being slaughtered. And what else do we learn in verse 7 that would happen to this servant of the Lord, that would happen to the Christ? Well, it says, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He would be shorn, which is a sign of suffering and humiliation as well. I'm not a farmer. I haven't sheared a sheep in my whole life, uh, but I've seen sheared sheep. And some of them look very nicely shorn, but then there's others, they, they look shameful, they look naked. And if they're standing there, you watch a video of them and they're bleating away, you can do this on YouTube, they're bleating there and they've got tufts sticking out of them where they haven't been shorn cleanly, properly. And it's a sign of humiliation for that poor sheep. He's got no coat on him anymore. And that is what would happen to the servant of the Lord, that he would be shamed, publicly shamed. Not necessarily just of his clothes, but also of his dignity, that he would be ragged and shameful. Now, does this fit with what we know of the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament? We know that Philip says to the Ethiopian eunuch that this is the Lord Jesus who's been described here. It's not Isaiah himself. It is the Lord Jesus. Does this fit with the New Testament? What we read of the experience of Christ? Well, yes, it does. Was Christ oppressed and afflicted? The answer is yes. We see through his life he was pressed. He was hard pressed by people. But then at his death, of course, he was pressed. He was oppressed by people and he was afflicted. He suffered greatly. His pain, particularly at the end of his life as he was uh, arrested and then punished and then crucified. And what about this slaughter? Well, of course, yes, we see that with the crucifixion. His body was torn. It was a brutal way to die. He didn't get some sort of lethal injection and that was it. No, his body was torn. It was a slaughter that happened at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter indeed. And what about this shearing that we see described in verse 7? Yes, that happened to the Lord Jesus. They stripped him of his clothes. They gambled over his clothes. And of course, his dignity was stripped away from him as well. We see that in the way that he was treated, that there was the mocking, the spitting, the tearing of his beard, the beatings, the mocking with the prophesy who hit you, the whipping that took place. It was a degradation of his body. And then, of course, the crucifixion itself, where he's held up there with no clothes, with no dignity. He was completely sheared of all dignity there at the cross. And so we see that this is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not fulfilled in Isaiah the prophet, as in Isaiah himself. This is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. But how did the Lord Jesus respond to all this? It's interesting in the text that we see the response of the Lord Jesus to this. How did he respond? Well, it's told to us twice. Verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. Now, what does this teach us about the Lord Jesus Christ? The fact that he did not open his mouth in the midst of this oppression, this affliction, this slaughter, this shearing of his dignity and even literally of his clothes, that he did not open his mouth, that he was silent through this. What does that teach us about the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, it teaches us his submissiveness, his submissiveness to what was going on, the non-retaliation of the Lord Jesus Christ to this oppression, to this affliction, to this slaughter of him and, of course, the shearing 
of his dignity. And this fits with what we read of the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament as well. This prophecy is made hundreds of years before the Lord Jesus had this experience, but this is what we see happening in the New Testament. We see a submissiveness of him, that he put up with the oppression and the affliction as people mocked him and beat him and whipped him. He willingly went through it. And then, of course, the slaughter and the shearing. And we see even a literal silence from the Lord Jesus Christ that is puzzling to people. It's remarked three different times in three different areas of the trials that took place with the Lord Jesus just before his death. Of course, he had the trial with the religious leaders. And we read in Matthew 26 that the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, aren't you going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. There we see with this religious trial that is taking place, Jesus would not answer the false charges that were being brought against him. And then when he was taken to the Roman governor, Pilate, we read in Matthew 27. So in Matthew 26, we have the religious hearing. And then in Matthew 27, the secular hearing. And we read, then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply. Not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Pilate was incredulous before this experience. Why is this person not opening his mouth? And Jesus was also given to someone else. Who else was he brought before? Herod. He had his religious hearing, but then Pilate discovers that Jesus belongs to Herod's area, and so he sends him to Herod, the king, so-called king of Israel, And when Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased, we read in Luke 23, because for a long time he'd been waiting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. He plied him, that's Herod plied Jesus, with many questions. But Jesus gave him no answer. We see there in the New Testament that Jesus fits the profile given to us in Isaiah 53, 7, that he was a lamb who did not open his mouth as he was led to the slaughter. Now, why do you think Isaiah wants to make a point about this? Why does Isaiah want to make a point about the submissiveness? Why does God want to speak through Isaiah and tell us about the submissiveness of his servant? Well, submissiveness is unusual in those who are going through pain and suffering. Everyone squeals in suffering. We don't need to train our children to squeal, to open their mouth when they are oppressed and afflicted by their awful parents, they will squeal quite readily on their own. And of course, everyone is particularly good at squealing when they're going through unjust suffering. When we believe that what is happening to us is not fair, we really squeal. Even righteous men like Job, we see in the Old Testament, he is held up as this righteous man. He goes through incredible suffering. He opens his mouth for 30 odd chapters well he has dialogue back and forth with his friends but it goes on and on and on he opens his mouth he is not silent in the midst of affliction and oppression you may say oh did Jesus suffer innocently yes he was we read in the New Testament he is described as a lamb without blemish or defect any oppression that comes upon him in a sense is unjust he never committed any sin himself personally that would lead to oppression and affliction and slaughter and a shearing 
of his dignity and even his literal clothes. And so what would we do if we were in this situation, if we were oppressed and afflicted, if we were to be slaughtered and shorn? We would cry out. What would we cry out for? Well, we would cry out for justice if we felt that we were not guilty. And if we knew that we were guilty, what would we cry out? We'd cry out for mercy. We would certainly open our mouths. And if we didn't get justice and we didn't get mercy, what would we do? We'd squeal all the way to the cross. We would moan and groan and open our mouths again and again. Even if it's not to cry out for mercy or justice any longer, we'd just make a noise in protest for what has happened to us and what is happening to us. So if submission to suffering is unusual, why would Jesus be submissive to the suffering? That is the question for us. Why would the servant of the Lord behave in this way? In the midst of oppression and affliction, why would he not open his mouth as he is led to the slaughter and as he is before his shearers? Why would he be silent before them? Is it because Jesus is like a sheep and he knows when he is overpowered? Let's face it, when a sheep is being led to the slaughter, what can he do against the humans who have control of him? Is that Jesus? Is he not opening his mouth because he knows when he has met his match and he is overpowered? No, that's not true at all. Jesus is the Son of God and he says even at his arrest, I could call 12 legions of angels to come and prevent what is happening. He's not overpowered. He's not a lamb who's being led and somehow weak in the hands of men. Or maybe it's that he's like a sheep and he doesn't know what's happening to him. A sheep, you can lead it to slaughter, can't you? Why? Because it doesn't really comprehend what's going on. It's got a sheep brain. It can't fathom what's going to happen, even if it sees another sheep slaughtered in front of it. It doesn't necessarily think it's going to happen to it. I've been looked after. I've been well fed. It's all going to be good for me. It's always that thing with the, the, the Christmas goose. He thinks... Life is going to keep on going on like this. I get well fed every day. Doesn't conceive that an end is coming. It's got a bird brain. Is that Jesus? Is Jesus silent before the slaughter because he does not comprehend what is happening to him? No, he knew what was going to happen to him. He knew better than anyone. He's regularly telling his disciples who read the Gospels, he's prophesying that I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be handed over to men. And crucified. He knew what was going to happen to him. So why is he not raising a protest? Well, there's many reasons why Jesus was submissive to the slaughter. But high up on the list is the motive of love. The motive of love. Love for who? Love for God, the Father. He loved the Father and he knew the Father desired this for him, that the Father desired that he should be slaughtered, that he should be shorn of his dignity. Jesus says that the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. He says that in John 14, 31. The world must learn that I love the Father. And how do I show that I love the Father? By doing what he commanded him. Why does he go willingly to slaughter? Because he loves the Father and wants to please the Father. And he knows the Father's will for him is that he should be slaughtered. That he should be oppressed. That he should be afflicted. Is it just love for the Father? No, it's love for someone else as well. For many. He loves the sheep. 
He loves other sheep. We read in John 10, 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. He loves other sheep. And that is why he is submissive to the slaughter, to the affliction, to the oppression. Jesus wanted, wanted, he desired it to be the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He wants to be that lamb. Jesus wanted to be oppressed and afflicted so that other sheep would not be oppressed and afflicted. Jesus wanted to be slaughtered and sheared because he wanted other sheep to escape slaughter and to escape being sheared. Jesus wanted to give his fleece for other sheep who are wretched, pitiful, naked and blind. He wanted to give his fleece for them. He wanted his righteousness to become their righteousness, be imputed to them, his good work to come over to their account. But why does Jesus need to be willing to die for other sheep? Surely there's no need for him to do that for other sheep. Isn't this a lot to go through? Surely there's no sheep that actually should be oppressed. There's no sheep that should be afflicted. There's no sheep that should be slaughtered. We're humane, aren't we? We, we look after others and we, no one's really that bad. But there was a need. All of humanity has this need for someone to take away the suffering that they deserve. And we see that in verse 6. Look with me at verse 6. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of us are like sheep who have gone astray. What are we like? We're like lambs who frisk away from the shepherd going our own way. We know the shepherd wants us to go over there, but we go in the opposite direction. We're like rams who butt and bite other sheep. And even when the loving shepherd who cares for us deeply, who's raised us from childhood, when he comes along, we butt him and we bite him too. Stay away from me. I don't want anything to do with you. We're like sheep that are always bleating, disturbing the rest of the flock in the night and disturbing the shepherd who's trying to get some sleep after caring for us through the day. We're bleating away, grumbling and complaining. And you may think that's not me, I'm not like that. But no, the text tells us, and if we reflect upon ourselves and are honest and true to ourselves, we know it's true. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us. You think you can get out of it? No. Isaiah is clear. Each of us has turned to his own way. And what does God do with a troublesome herd of sheep? What does a shepherd do? If he has a sheep, a, a, a a flock of sheep who are always going in the wrong direction, who are always biting one another, butting one another, destroying each other and attacking him even with their little sheep mouths. It's futile really, but they have these little sheep mouths and they're always trying to bite the shepherd. What does he do with such a flock? Does he continue to care for them and love them and protect them for all of eternity? What would you do if you had such a flock of sheep? Well, I suggest to you that you'd cut off their wool, get what you can from them, and then have roast lamb in the fires of hell for all eternity. These ungrateful sheep, you would roast them. That's all they're good for, roasting. Disobedient, violent, grumbling sheep are only fit for slaughter. 
only fit for slaughter, particularly when contrasted with the Lord Jesus Christ. You may not think you're all that bad, but look at Jesus Christ. He never went his own way. Christ's way was always God's way. Uh, He was a lamb who was kind and gentle to other sheep and to the shepherd. No butting, no biting from the lamb of God. He was a lamb who didn't disturb the flock or shepherd, but spoke kindly to them. He was a lamb who was willing to die so that others wouldn't be roast lamb for eternity. He was willing to do that, the kindness and compassion. And he didn't even open his mouth as he went to the slaughter. Expect some sort of grumbling or, aren't you guys going to be grateful for what I'm doing? Do you understand what I'm doing? No, he just doesn't open his mouth. He's so gentle and kind and compassionate and loving. And so when we consider him and then look at ourselves, we recognize that we've given the shepherd nothing but pain and grief for all the love that he's lavished on us. He's been so kind to us from a young age and yet we have just given him grief after grief after grief. And so who here can complain that he or she doesn't deserve to be punished for eternity in hell? But then this passage tells us that the iniquity that we deserve, the the punishment that we deserve and our iniquity, our sin, was laid on him, we read in verse 6. And then in this passage we see again and again that he is the one who takes our pain, who takes the roasting that we deserve as sheep, takes it upon him. And that is why he's doing what we see described in verse 7. But how do we become one of the lambs that God that the Lamb of God saves? How do we become one of these sheep that Jesus dies for? Are we automatically saved from the roasting in hell by this Lamb of God? Well, the answer is no. The Bible is clear again and again that there are people who will be sent to hell, who have been sent to hell and are being sent to punishment as we speak, as people are dying all around us. As we sit here or stand up the front in my case, there are people dying and being judged. Hebrews 9, 27, man is destined to die once and after that face judgment. And many are judged as disobedient sheep that deserve roasting. So what are we to do? How do we have Jesus save us, be slaughtered for us? Is it by simply following Christ's example of the way that he lives here in particularly even verse 7? Some people would say, yes, Jesus is our example to follow. And how do we follow his example? Well, we increase our sufferings so that we can escape from hell. We, we inflict ourselves with bodily pain now. We look at Jesus and we see how much pain he went through and, and that's the way that you make up for iniquity. That's the way you make up for sin. So I will inflict pain upon myself. I will hurt myself, may even whip myself. I'll wear harsh garments underneath my other clothes. I will deprive myself of food. I'll go through extensive fasting, starve myself and deprive myself of even sleep. If I go through such harsh treatment on my body like Jesus went through, then that'll make up for what I've done. Or maybe if I die like Jesus died, die a noble death, maybe giving my life for others, then that'll make up for it. And if I keep silent through it all, that'll add the cherry to the pie, won't it? It'll just be that that bit on the top that I'm just silent, I suck it up as I suffer. But the answer is no. 
suffering personally won't make up for our sin and stop our waywardness and somehow earn Jesus saving of us. No. Do you really think you can run amok all over the farm and then when you get caught and you're conscious that the shepherd can catch you and hurt you, that if you just suffer a bit, it seems like a lot, but realistically it's just a bit, and you stop bleating, that somehow the shepherd will say, it's okay, I'll let you go. No, our sin is too serious. It's too serious to be atoned for by a little bit of suffering in this world, which it will always be, even if it's a few decades of it. It's just a little bit of suffering compared to the eternal suffering that we deserve for our sin. So what are we to do? What are we to do? Well, we're to open our mouth, not to bleat, but to confess our waywardness. That is how we have the Lord Jesus, the servant, the Christ, die for us. We confess our sin. If we repent of our sin and trust in Jesus Christ, if we ask him for forgiveness, then the Lamb of God takes away our sin. He takes away our sin. Our iniquity is laid on him. And he takes away the punishment that we deserve for our sin if he takes away our sin. How? Well, it's by Christ's affliction, his oppression, his slaughter, the shearing, all that work that we see described in verse 7, that is applied by the Holy Spirit to us. And it is as good as though we have died with Christ so many years ago, that we have been slaughtered, that we have been oppressed, we have been afflicted, we have been shorn of our dignity as we deserve because the Holy Spirit has applied the work of the Lord Jesus to us. And now what do we do? Well, we start living according to the shepherd's ways. Not because we fear being roasted, but because we're not going to, we know we're not going to be roasted. We're delighted to receive the forgiveness of the shepherd. And so we want to show him gratitude by the way that we live, that we have been brought back into the fold despite our waywardness, despite our butting and biting of others and even the shepherd himself, that he has welcomed us back into the fold by the blood of the lamb. And so this verse, if you want to have a response to this verse, well, firstly, you should repent and believe if you have never done that before. If you're still a sheep that is wayward from the shepherd, then I encourage you, come to him now in repentance and faith and ask for forgiveness. Ask that the Lamb of the, the God who takes away the sin of the world be the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. And if you are a sheep of the Lord, if you have been brought back into the fold, oh, rejoice in this passage. Rejoice in this verse. I mean, when you read this passage, at first it should bring us grief as we're reminded of what the Lord Jesus went through. We see the suffering of the servant, of the righteous one. He was a lamb without blemish and defect. This happened to him. But then joy should follow. Why? Because we know that it happened to him so that it wouldn't happen to us. We are not lambs to be slaughtered and roasted for eternity. And we are now clothed in Christ's woolly white fleece shining in purity. That is how God actually sees us. Even though you might have bitten and butted a few people this morning, you've gone back to your ways for a moment, but God looks at you and he sees Christ 
woolly jumper on you that's blazing impurity. And he forgives you yet again. And so we look at this verse and we rejoice of what Christ has done for us. And of course, we want to live according to his ways. It motivates us to live according to his ways because we recognize that we are not going to be slaughtered and roasted. And we also look forward to that day where we'll be taken to the eternal sheep pen and to be with our savior, the good shepherd himself, where we will lie down in green pasture and be led by side quiet waters and our souls will be restored for all of eternity. This verse, this whole passage should fill us with joy. Yes, grief, because we look at it and see what happened to our Saviour. But then we remember that it happened to our Saviour, so it wouldn't happen to us. This is the love of God here. This should be one of your favourite passages of Scripture. Because it speaks so powerfully of the love of God. The love of Jesus for his Father and the love of Jesus for us. I think the tension of the pain and the sorrow of this verse, but also the joy that's in there, is summed up nicely in Fullerton's old hymn, I Cannot Tell, which in one of the verses it says, I cannot tell how silently he suffered as with his peace he graced this place of tears. I cannot tell how silently he suffered as with his peace, by not opening his mouth, his peace, he graced this place of tears, this place of tears where we should be mourning over our sin and the slaughter that is to come to us outside of Christ. He graced this place of tears. Or how his heart upon the cross was broken, the crown of pain to three and thirty years. But this I know, he heals the brokenhearted and stays our sin and calms our lurking fear and lifts the burden from the heavy laden. For yet the Saviour, Saviour of the world is here. Yes, we cannot tell about the Lord Jesus' sufferings and how he did it, but we know that he has stayed our sin and calms our lurking fears and he has lifted the burden from the heavy laden and he is our saviour, saviour, and he has come for us. So have you repented of your waywardness? Have you repented of your waywardness? Have you trusted in the submissive lamb of God to take away your sin? Or are you still facing eternal destruction? Are you still facing a roasting in the fires of hell because of your waywardness, because of your sin? Or do you know the joy, the pure joy of being forgiven of your sins and looking forward to green pastures for eternity, quiet waters, restored soul, Is that the joy that you know now? You've tasted it now and you're looking forward to ever-increasing joy as your years roll on and then, of course, when you enter into glory itself. Is that the joy that is warming your heart even now as you look at a passage like this? Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak with him. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we praise you as the truly meek one. You are the one who loved the Father perfectly, And you loved us so much that you were willing to be oppressed, that you were willing to be afflicted. You were willing to be slaughtered and sheared in our place. Oh, Lord, we...
we confess our waywardness. We confess that we have each gone to our own way in the past. But you have brought us to repentance. You have brought us to faith. You have given us this knowledge of what the Lord Jesus did so many years ago. And so we are saved. And we have this joy in our hearts because we know that we will never be slaughtered. We will never be oppressed and afflicted and shorn as the Lord Jesus was and as we deserve. We may experience suffering in this world, but it's nothing compared to what he went through. And so, Lord, we thank you for this. And we ask that you would continue to increase the joy in our hearts as we study passages like this for the rest of our lives. And even as we rejoice around the lamb for eternity in heaven. And Lord, we ask that if there is anyone here this morning who is still facing eternal destruction for their waywardness, for going their own way. Lord, we pray that you would turn them around now, that they would no longer go to their own way, that they would be granted repentance and faith by your spirit even now, and that they would know the joy that we share, the joy of knowing that they will not be slaughtered, that they will not be oppressed and afflicted for all eternity because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, save them now and bring them back into your fold. And we pray this in your name. Amen.